Well, hello. Oh, hey, <laughs> jump back in there a little bit too soon. <laughs> hello there, Code of the West. It's me. It's Chris. So I've been I've been away for a little bit, and my apologies. Uh, I know I said I was going to get better about <laughs> doing this more regularly. Uh, the last time I did one, and I don't re- I don't recall how long ago that was, but I know it's been a bit. Uh, yeah. So. What's been going on in my world? A whole lot. So we've we've had some Code of the West stuff go down, which has been cool. We're had a couple drops. Uh, most recently, the the electric eagle hat, which I was pretty stoked about. It was a, it was a very limited drop, but sold out of that in a half hour, which was really cool. And uh, did the smoke wagon drop, which was also successful. Uh, for selling stuff, but also I learned quite a few things on that one. And, um, maybe I might get into that a little bit. I, uh, total, uh, uh, sidebar here. I have no plan, no outline, no script or anything for this. I'm just, I'm just doing it because <laughs> I, uh, I've been putting it off so long, mostly just because I've been, I've just been tired, uh, to be totally honest. I, once again, Love the day job at Black Rifle Coffee. And uh, I guess I've never really talked too much about that. Uh, and I feel I feel like Evan wouldn't mind if I talked a little bit about that. Uh, I, I got to be careful with what I say because we're doing a lot of things that are uh, kind of top secret, which is fun. But, but so when I came down to Salt Lake City in November of 2020 during the apocalypse, I left Northern Idaho and I was, I'd been up there riding out, riding out the events of the year with my parents uh, on their property up in Sagal. Well, I mean, Sagal's where the post office is. It's, I mean, we're just on 60 acres uh, up against the Ponderay, Ponderay river. Well, it's like the river, small river section that feeds into the lake. But so I was up there for, you know, most of the year and then had been working contract with Evan and I, uh, pretty quickly knew that I wanted to work with him more full time with black rifle. So started making plans for that transition, I think around this time in 2020. And it just, the way it worked out is I just ended up leaving a couple days before the election. And so I've been working with, with black rifle or Evan since March of 2020. And I've been officially an employee since November of 2020. So I'm, I've been working with Black Rifle for over two years, but I'm coming up on like my official real boy two year anniversary as an employee here in a few months. So when I when I came down here, it was definitely to make art, but with this sort of, uh, you know, very casual dictate that I would, you know, try to find people that we could maybe build an art department out of. And at first that might have it was kind of looking like I might have to find people and hire people, but it ended up being just, uh, we just did it with people we had at Black Rifle, most of which were people who are still in the art department now, but they all came from the print shop originally. And so we just kind of started getting after it. And there was already Gary Stevens, who is the guy who who actually designed the original logo, the original bags. He's been there since the beginning. And so he was at that point, creative director and design director, but there really had never been a robust creative team to help him. It had always been just him essentially. And then some contractors every once in a while. So didn't really have a roadmap or a plan and put that thing together over time. And with, I mean, with like, I didn't just do it. It was with Evan and with all the guys that we're working with. And it's pretty big now. I think we've got about 12 people in it, which is really cool. And we are the ones that draw and design the bags, the boxes, the shirts, uh, anything that's got visuals on it, a black rifle, we are touching it. That doesn't always extend to the content. In fact, more often than not, it doesn't. But we're starting to kind of play around with animation now, which has been pretty cool. We, we just uh, we have ECS, which is our exclusive coffee club subscription. And once a month, we have a pretty wild bag come out and it's all really, really small lot coffee, like really the cream of the crop coffee that uh, either Evan or Edwin, somebody, you know, goes and finds it at one small farm and it's kind of prohibitively expensive most of the time, but we were able to distribute it across 
all these different, uh, well, across a number of bags in the club. So it makes it more affordable to everybody. But uh, it's kind of a, the ECS has become our playground to kind of play with some of our wild ideas. So in this most recent one that we had on July 1st, Minipore, we actually made a, a small animation uh, using Cam, Cam, Camber Carroll is one of the illustrators that, one of the original illustrators with me uh, in the art department. And this was his first ECS bag that he did. And we did this kind of Dungeons and Dragons uh, kind of uh, coffee bag. It, it, it is cool. But uh, he ended up working with Kenzie Moss, who's a recent addition to the Black Rifle Art Department, who's primarily an animator. And they made this really kick-ass, cool animation for social media. So uh, anywho, uh, yeah, so we do a lot of different stuff and we work very closely with Evan and, uh, we're kind of like the, I call we called ourselves skunk works initially. I called everybody skunk works initially cause there really wasn't an art department and I was just a, a guy basically. And so I thought skunk works kind of felt sufficiently secretive, uh, in a way that made it sound like it was something when it really wasn't anything. <laughs> And, and we stuck with that for quite some time. And then uh, we're we're now just kind of like the creative department because we're touching so many different things. There's still very much a Skunk Works element to it. Uh, it and it kind of is on a project by project basis. It, it's cool, though. Like there's this little kind of um, uh, like anybody can come in when we have tours and people coming in from the outside all the, uh, like pretty much all every week, all day. But um, the really secret stuff we kind of keep you know, hidden. We don't just put it out there for everybody to see, but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. There's, there's really, there's not many places that would employ this many artists and when we're cranking all the time, like there's not really any downtime. We have a lot of fun and it shows if you ever follow any of our social medias. So you, you got producer Derek and, uh, you know, Camber Carroll, Camber, Camberland art. Uh, you got Caleb Leftwich. Uh, there's <laughs> Dino, Lenny, Garrett. Um, yeah. And, and of course, uh, you know, you've got Gary, but then we've got, you know, Maddie Carrington and San Antonio and Josh Rollerson, uh, Jonathan Griswold, uh, Kinsey Moss, uh, Seth Louie. These, uh, it's just, it's just a very motley assortment of pirates that we all work together. And uh, some of us are in, you know, here, some of us are remote, but uh, it, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool thing that Evan has allowed us to, to build. And, you know, it's more akin to uh, a Pixar story department or uh, a concept department for a movie. Like we're, we're oftentimes not necessarily, we're actually more often than not drawing. We're not drawing something that we've just been told to draw. We've been told to work within a theme or a concept or like an era. So there's a lot of freedom to create with, with, with guide rails, if that makes sense. So, and that's part of the reason why, um, strangely, it's part of the reason why I wanted to do Code of the West is because we, we've got all this freedom and flexibility, you'd think. I mean, it's all within the, the guidelines of like, what is Black Rifle? How do we define Black Rifle and speak to it through what we're creating? And, and that's kind of like a moving target a little bit because, you know, companies grow, uh, you got to change your tactics or any number of things. So like, it, it's kind of, it's kind of fluid. And, and also as much as we might think we understand it, we're not the arbiters of it. We're not the person that says yes or no, that's black rifle. So I wanted something that I could have where I was the arbiter of things and be able to say, yeah, you know what? I think this is what code of the West is on the flip side. It, <laughs> I realized very quickly that it's kind of nice to have other people around to kind of, you know, offer their insight into what they think things are because it's, it's not a fail. Like I'm not afraid of failing. It's not that that's a concern with code of the West or anything really uh, failure is just eliminating a possibility that, you know, didn't work, but um, it's, it's, it's harder to create in a vacuum. And I've noticed this over the years with comics and other, other things that I've, I've endeavored to, to sort of dip my toes into like, you know, you can, you, you can do a, a drive a lot of the creative and the narrative or, concept stuff on your own, but you kind of need somebody to bounce ideas off of. And so, you know, the first part of code of the West, uh, the first part of this year was kind of an immediate feedback thing. Like that was part of the reason why I went ahead and did it and yeeted it. Cause you had people like, or I had people like Josh Smith 
uh, encouraging me to to just go for it. And Brandon, Brandon Lilly, even Evan, like day three, <laughs> I got a text from him the day that I posted the uh, the charging bull shirt, the never corner something meaner than you. And he's like, what is this? Who's this for? And I told him, I'm like, that's actually not for anybody. It's just for me. I'm just messing around, but I can, I can take it down if you want me to. And he's like, no, you weirdo. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it was I, part of the reason why I went through with it in that initial phase was like, okay, I'm getting, I'm getting curiosity. I'm getting attention uh, or I'm getting people's attention with this. So maybe it's worth pursuing. And very quickly, I realized that it's something that I'd kind of had buried in the back of my mind for a while. You know, I tried to, I tried to do little, uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say businesses, but I tried to kind of pay, play around with branding and, and, uh, well, yeah, I guess you say branding. Like I was trying to, I, I'd done a couple things on my own where I kind of created zines or, or created like quietly created alternate, uh, Instagram channels just to kind of see if I understood what I was doing and putting it into practice a little bit more. And so code, and I've said this before, code of the West ended up becoming sort of the synthesis of, of a lot of these different skills and, and attempts over the years. So I learned a lot in the first few months and I'm still learning a lot. Uh, the, the drop thing, I'm all for the drops. I like the drops. I kind of realized that I think the drops work better when I don't have a lot of lead up time. Like with the smoke wagon thing, I made some pretty cool content. I dipped my toes back into video editing, which I used to love in high school and relearned Premiere to the best of my abilities within the time frame that I had and was able to create some, some cool little content reels. I, you know, got some royalty free music and I leaned into a lot of the footage I'd been recording as I kind of had been wandering around Utah over the past few months. Uh, well, a couple of years actually. And then, you know, up, uh, like I have videos and photos from when I'm up North in Idaho and so I created a couple of videos, one of which got quite a few views on the Instagram channel for Code of West. And then it just got quiet because I had to wait four or five days. And so um, I've realized that basically I've got to kind of announce it a few days ahead, put that content up somewhere in between probably the day before, and then just kind of launch it. The, the Eagle hat, though, I... I like that that experiment a lot because I basically on a Monday said I'm doing it on a Wednesday. And so there was just the, the, the Tuesday kind of dead zone there. And and I switched up the time because I'd been doing it on Thursdays. And that was just sort of like a reflexive thing, because um, uh, back when I started, uh, I was literally at Josh Smith's place when I really formalized that I was doing it. And they always would do their drops for Montana Knife Company at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time on a Thursday. Well, when they were doing that, you know, just six months ago, they weren't doing it every week. And, and they've been they've become so successful that they're doing drops every week pretty much now. So I realized kind of quickly, I'm like, oh, maybe I should switch the day. And so so the most recent drop I did Wednesday afternoon, actually, on you know, Wednesday morning more uh, 10 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. And I might switch that up. I might do noon Mountain Standard, but I think I think Wednesday is kind of my day for a little bit. Tuesday seems a little too boring, but maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. I might try a Tuesday, but it's it's been a cool learning curve. I mean, like I said, just having the excuse to get to to dive back into Premiere and video editing was a lot of fun. And it's uh, there's like I'm the kind of person that um, I'm always striving to learn to evaluate. Um, I'm more of a stoic, you know, in my own personal philosophy. And so part of that is evaluating how each day went and what I could have done better, who I could have treated better, who I could have helped more, who I didn't help specifically and why. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of constantly always going over and workshopping in my mind, post game wrap up, whatever action after action reporting on myself and so I'm starting to kind of get some good data, I feel like, with this whole thing. And it's also starting to get a bit of momentum. Now people, it, it's it's cool. It's, it's cool to just do it and not have, not like have to worry about uh, how many people are following me, but, which I will say is pretty cool. We're at 2,100 followers now. It, it took me years to get to that with my personal account, again, because I wasn't really trying to do it. 
So it's, it's cool to just see it happen, which I really appreciate everybody who's following along. And it's, um, I don't know. I just, I, I like, like I could definitely do more tricky stuff if, if I wanted to, to, to get more followers, to get more people looking at things. I do think that I need to kind of, uh, curate the Instagram page a little bit more. If you look at like really successful brands, they're like, say Filson, for instance, it's going to all be lifestyle photography photos of people wearing the product for the most part, or product photos that are, you know, in cool environments, but everything kind of aesthetically matches. I'm kind of all over the place where I'm posting drawings. I'm posting product photos from my phone. I'm posting sort of lifestyle photos that people like Heston Woolley are sending me, which I don't total sidebar. Uh, if you follow the code of the West Instagram, I just posted some awesome photos that Heston took of himself uh, wearing the blaze orange cafe hat in the, uh, the black hoodie that I have on my store as well with the yellow code of the West logo amazing photos. Uh, I hope he really keeps pursuing product photo uh, photography because he, he's kind of on the fence about it, but uh, um, he's Heston.Woolly. Woolsey? Woolsey. I'll put in the description um, or you can just go to the web. The, you can go to the Instagram page, do that. And you'll find Heston. He comments a lot of things. And, um, but um, to go back to what I was saying, like it, it, there are things that I could do to make it more polished and, I'll get around to it, I guess. I'm not super worried about that right now. I'm I'm really more concerned with the foundation of everything, the foundation of the brand, the narrative, how I'm speaking to it, which, as I said in the last podcast, is part of the reason why I haven't been doing the podcast as much is that I I really didn't think anybody was going to pay attention when I started. And, and I mean, both to the brand and to the podcast. And just arbitrarily, I looked at what the RSS feed was doing uh, a couple of days ago, which is that's more or less like what the it's how you can kind of see who's accessing the podcast. The RSS feed feeds into iTunes and Spotify. And also it's on my personal website, too. And the numbers haven't gone down. The numbers have stayed really consistent. Uh, about 700 people are actively listening to the podcast at any given time, which is surprising to me because it means that even though I have been posting podcasts over the past couple of months, people are still listening to the ones that are there. So that's kind of exciting. It means that I think that there is a huge opportunity here for the podcast. So anybody who's trying to do this, I'm looking at you, James Nance, you know, the podcast can be, I think a pretty powerful tool, I think, but I think the double-edged sword is that if you're just trying to fill dead air, you're going to say some stupid shit at some point. And I'm trying to be, as earnest and off the cuff as possible. And so the hard part for me has been either being too tired to really say what I want to say, or just not having had the time to, to say it. And, and so I have to figure out that I have to figure that out. I don't want to make it a formula, but, and I also have just for the most part, talked to myself outside of interviewing Kevin Reeves. I, I want to do more um, interviews at some point. But again, I, I like I, I've, I've become really fortunate in my in my life and career to come to know some really talented people that are that are doing amazing things, which is is, is mind boggling. One of which is Jack Carr. So uh, again, another sidebar here. Jack wrote a book series called The Terminalist. The first book was called The Terminalist, but now it's just The Terminalist series. And it just came out as a series on Amazon Prime with Chris Pratt starring and producing it. And Anton, Antoine Fatiqua, uh, uh, I always say it wrong, a uh, guy who wrote and directed, uh, well, he directed Training Day. And um, uh, this is why you should have notes so you can say people's names correctly. Um, but the, yeah, they made they made a whole series out of it and, it. and it was great and it's doing great. And I hope that they make more of them. And and this is somebody that I know, you know, Jack is somebody that I've, I've been working with off and on for the past couple of years and is a super humble, really earnest guy, very gracious. And it's, yeah, it's sort of mind boggling at this point to, to think about the fact that it's like, oh yeah, I know somebody with an Amazon series. Would I want to talk to him and interview him? Absolutely. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask somebody to stop what they're doing in the middle of you know, an Amazon premiere campaign while he's also in the midst of writing his, his next book. So that's kind of the funny thing about having these people that I really admire and respect as friends in my life 
is they're all really busy too in a different way much and uh, you could argue the scale is even bigger for them so for now it's going to just be me i'm going to pause and take a little sippy sip of water here sorry if you heard that <laughs> but um yeah so so with it just being me I, i've got a I've got to really feel like I can fill this error with something. And I'm trying to stay away from politics and current events. I, I feel like there's, a, there's, way, there's people who are way more informed about all that stuff than I am. And um, sorry, I had to adjust the mic thing. That sounds a little bit better. Um, yeah. So I, I like, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could hit the algorithm and we could be talking about things that are in the news right now, but I, it's just not, that's just not who I am. It's not what I want to be anyways with this. I can have those conversations personally. I don't feel like I'm obligated to be a mouthpiece for anything while I'm here. Uh, this is about code of the West. This is about what I, what I care about, what my priorities are. And, uh, and it, I'm, I'm really encouraged and excited by the fact that over these past few months, of course, the past six and a half, seven months, excuse me, in total, but particularly the, the past couple of months, I've really started to get to know a lot of you who are listening and, 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 and interacting on the Instagram page. And it's been really cool. It's been a lot of fun to get to know some of you and, and follow along on your journeys. I already mentioned James Nance, who's starting his own podcast. Well, has started his own podcast in the sense that he's recording episodes, but they're not released yet. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it makes me feel really encouraged to know that you're, some of you are encouraged by what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do. And, and that's, that's what I really, I mean, it's 4th of July today while I'm recording this. I don't think I, I pointed that out. And I'm not one of those people that, um, is outwardly like, I'm not, I'm not going to have a flag flying on the back of my truck. I have a flag in front of my house or my apartment. And I, you know, I was dressed head to toe in red, white, and blue on Friday when we were at our barbecue at black rifle. But like, I'm not, I'm not the kind of person that is, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, I mean, I'm old school patriotic, I guess is how you'd say like, I'm like my grandparents. So it's like, there's always a flag flying. There's, you know, 4th of July used to be going to the uptown Westerville where my grandparents lived and sitting in the same spot every year because my grandpa would go camp out for it early and just watching the parade. And it's a small town parade. And if you're from a small town, you know what I'm describing without even really saying anything. It's just it's like kind of ad hoc. There's there's floats, but they're usually on the back of a flatbed truck or they're like a flatbed trailer pulled by like a pickup truck. There's they're not really fancy and there's people on horseback and there's clowns tossing candy and you've got the marching bands and that, and that's what it is, you know, and, but it was, it was cool. It was very, uh, um, I don't know. It was very classic to me. You know, it, it, it seemed like, uh, the kinds of things that I would see in movies and, you know, you'd have, uh, picnics afterwards, you know, where you go to someone's house and have a barbecue in the backyard. It was good stuff. I liked it. Uh, it's a little bit different. It's been a little bit different for me as an adult because I've been wandering around so much uh, pursuing my career in comics. And then, you know, now I'm here in Utah with uh, Black Rifle and I, I have friends from work, but I'm alone here. I don't have family here and I'm, I'm a single guy. And, uh, you know, it's it's just it's just not the same best way I can put it. And it's OK. I'm like, I'm not upset or feel lost or anything, but um it's just quieter for me. I mean, all, all holidays have been this way for me for a long time. You know, I was by myself in uh, every Christmas that I lived in New York for three years. And, and again, it wasn't that bad, but um, you know, I'd have some Christmas parties I'd go to like the day before the day after, but you know, Christmas was just me doing my thing. And, and before that, when I was doing all my other careers uh, before I was, you know, doing comics. They weren't that glamorous, but I would work on all the holidays because I was, you know, you get, you get overtime, you get holiday pay and usually make better tips on those days if you're open. So, so it's been, you know, 4th of July for me has been something that I've watched other people do for more than half my life now. And so to me, I, I think more of the significance of the holiday than I think of the holiday itself. Like I think about the, the fact that I think it's pretty amazing that 
we're the first country in the history of the world to win to, I mean, essentially like win our freedom and, and govern ourselves that had never happened at scale before us. And it changed the dynamic of the world. And it's not perfect. It was always an experiment. It's referred to as as such by a a number of the founding fathers. It's an experiment in democracy and self-governance. It's a Republic, but you know, it's, it's kind of on us to maintain it and let it grow and thrive. And so what I'm getting at is, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm starting to finally live my American dream in a way, even though I've been the benefit of the, I've, I've, I've reaped the benefit of the country for a long time, just the safety, the security, the, my, my family had the opportunity to uh, succeed, you know, based on their hard work and the very blue collar businesses they've all owned and worked in. And I've always felt like, I didn't take it for granted, but I've never put my money where my mouth was in any way. And I feel like code of the West is the first time that I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel like I can actually say that I'm taking advantage of what we have here. And what I mean by that is that I've always seen America as this land of opportunity. And I know people have spoken about it in the past as such, mostly people who are immigrating here, but I, th- I feel, I feel, and I think that I, I've been taking it for granted in a way because, well, I know I have, but what I'm specifically speaking to is this, that we have the ability to fail or succeed at our own hand in a lot of ways. And, uh, and I want, and I'm not going to get into the nuance of economic, uh, uh, ge- well, geographic economic backgrounds or, uh, places where everybody's been born in a different way. Like, you know, some people were born with a silver spoon. Some people were born with a rusty knife. But the interesting thing is that everybody's allowed to fail or succeed basically as much as they want based on how hard they're going to work. Some people start at a deficit and work their way up and end up beating the person with a silver spoon. That sounds like the shittier version, but that's actually the version that I think is the most amazing part about it is that we have, regardless of how hard you think you should or shouldn't work, it is possible to outwork somebody in this country. And, and so with, with that in mind, I feel like having my own business, even as small as it is right now, it's been the first time that I've really sort of like put my chips on the table in some way and said, okay, let's try this. Cause just having the opportunity to earn an income, meaning just the opportunity to go and find a job or be employed somewhere. It's a, it's a great, amazing thing to have that benefit, but to create value has been something that I've always really found interesting. And that's something that I think is cool about comics or, or creative storytelling in general is that you're making a thing uh, that's going to be bought and sold. That is not really a thing. It, it's entertainment. It's perhaps uh, it's entertainment and it's maybe, maybe it's going to have something that makes you laugh or smile, make you feel better. Maybe it's going to make you think uh, maybe you you'll be a better person at the end of it. I don't know, but there's a value proposition in it but it's not inherently valuable. There's no, there's a commodity just in the the book, for instance, but, but there's something really cool about making a hat or making a shirt. And cause it, cause it kind of, it's, it's subjective and easily substituted, but at the same t- time, you are clothing somebody like somebody has chosen to, to uh, dress themselves, to, to armor themselves with your, idea, your brand. And, and that's both ideologically and physically. Like, I mean, we got to wear something. So if someone's wearing my hoodie, they could wear a lot of different hoodies, but not only are they going to have, does it have code of the West on it, but it's, it's, it's a thing that makes them warm. It's a thing that they can work in. And, and so, you know, it's terrifying to be putting money up and wondering if people are going to buy the thing that you're trying to sell them. Uh, but it's also really exciting. And, I think it really kind of messed with my head at first because I'm, you realize really quickly that a lot of these things are basically the same thing that, that a t-shirt is kind of a t-shirt and really the, the value proposition is what I just, I just described a few seconds ago, which is the value is in what it's claiming to extol. You know, in this case, code of the West is about the, the original story 
maybe not the original story, but one of the major stories that used to be a driving factor in our, in our cultural, cultural zeitgeist, which is this idea of the, 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 the worker, the lone cowboy, the person going out and cro- like crossing to the horizon, the explorer, the worker, the fighter. And, and so, and also just a pride in America, pride in that opportunity, the, the feeling of gratefulness of being a good person, of being honorable. And so to me, that excites me to think that if, if people are engaging with this and with that understanding, then hopefully they kind of agree with me. And and that's been the case so far. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a different feeling. It's a different feeling than, than writing a comic. Like one of the, when I wrote and drew Carver, the the only comic I really care about, to be honest with you, it's the one I wrote and drew came out in 2015, started to, and then came out in trade paperback 2016. And one of the more major awards that it won was a uh, graphic novel of the year from IGN.com. It beat out a number of books from really storied authors and creative teams. And, um, it, yeah, it, it was the fan choice, uh, which is just so weird to me, but I, I like, I, that excited me to some extent, kind of like, it was more of a data point where I'm like, Oh, okay. So I wasn't crazy, but it's, it's not the same feeling. Like I, I actually have more, sorry, I got to tighten this uh, microphone up. I get more excitement out of, out of selling these Eagle hats than I, than I ever did selling comics. And I think it's because you don't wear a comic. A comic is something you hold and put back on a shelf somewhere. And, and, you know, a coat of the West hat or a shirt is something that you, when you put it on, you're putting it on all day. It just means something else to me. And, and people engaging with it makes me feel differently about it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been an interesting ride. So, I mean, with all that being said, there's, there's some pretty exciting stuff on the horizon. I can't really, well, I won't talk about it right now just because I'm a, something about me that if you know me really well, you know that I, I'm kind of the person that like, I'll believe it when I see it. That's not the right way of saying it. Like I've had a lot of deals fall through. Like the first thing that I ever did, uh, when, I went freelance for the first time. I, I'd had a an office job, and then I was working construction. And when I I got an offer from Universal Music Group to work on an album for this guy named Asher Roth, who did this song back in the day. I think it was called "I Love College" or something. And he was going to make a second album. It was going to be with Universal and Def Jam Records, and I was going to, they were looking for an artist that was a comic book artist. They wanted the, the, the album to have this very comic booky feel to it. And so I kind of duked it out with some people, got the job. And what was scary is like, I, the, the, the night that I got the job, I had been breaking, uh, cement like 12 inch or 12 deep, 12 inch deep cement, uh, concrete slab with a sledgehammer because we couldn't rent a uh, jackhammer in time because we had concrete coming later in the afternoon to, to pour. So I had to break it, break it up by hand. It was probably about 10 by 10 and fiberglass handle, 10 pound sledge. And by the time at the end of the day, my wrist was locked. I could not move my wrist. Like, I mean, I straight up, I like, couldn't move it on any axis. I just had a fist and a straight wrist. And I had to, duke it out to, to get the job. So I, I worked about 11 hours that day. I scrambled, ran home, soaked my hand and my wrist and my arm in hot water and Epsom salt at home just to try to get my wrist to loosen up. And I, I was freaking out to be honest. And somehow I was able to still do what I needed to do. I got the job and it was going to be $25,000. And that was going to, I mean, that was real money to me. Should be real money to anybody now, but but that was like, like that was going to change everything. That was, that was the kind of thing that I was willing to throw in on that one. This would have been about 2011, I think 2011 or 2012. And so I was like, you know what, I'm going to 
I don't have a lot of money in the bank, but if I can do this the right way, I'm going to, I'm going to end up at 25,000 because I got the job and I'm like, this is great. This is going to change my life. Signed the contract, had a delivery date, went to work immediately, ended up uh, also working on a music video with, um, I think Akon said his name. So like Akon did a feature, which is kind of like what Akon was doing for a lot of his career with Asher Roth and this video exists somewhere. And, and so I, it started feeling pretty weird pretty quickly because I was having to do a lot of redraws on Asher's faith face. And they kept getting to this point where the, the creative agency, this is my first taste of, 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 learning about what it's like to do creative work with um, corporate people. So you had Asher Roth and his people. Then you had a management company out of Chicago that was like his management company, but they were really more like the management company for Universal. And then Universal had their people. So I don't know whose idea it was actually to do the comic book concept for the album, but they wanted Asher on the cover and they wanted him to look like a comic book. Well, I did like 30 versions of his face because they all looked too much like a comic book to them. And I was doing the video on the side and I, I wasn't getting paid because nothing was getting approved. And I was doing liner notes. I was doing a lot of concept stuff, but I was just not getting paid because no one was, no one was approving anything. And, and so it got to be through the summer close to the, to the drop date, like July 26. I remember this cause it was my birthday all the, all the album art front and back interior stuff had to be done by July 26. And I was working nonstop and nothing was approved and, and no one was telling me I was doing bad. They were just like, yeah, we need you to redraw his face again. Well, what had happened was the, behind the scenes, there had been a, basically I think Def Jam got sold by universal at that point or bought, I can't remember which way, but it was a, it was a contract thing. Basically like this album never came out because of a business situation between the two labels. And I never got paid as a result. So I did a summer's worth of work. I quit my job to do this and I didn't get paid anything. I mean, to sue universal records was going to cost more than $25,000 just to go set foot into a courtroom. So I was just kind of screwed. So the reason why I'm saying, uh, th there's a lot of cool things happening on the horizon and I'm not going to say anything about them right now is that it's not that I, I discount the intent of the people involved, myself included. It's just that things happen. Sometimes things happen outside of your control and you just got to roll with it. So when it does happen, I will tell you about it and I'm super excited and super stoked because it's going to be cool and it's kind of a game changer and it's going to open up this whole thing to a, a different and larger group of people that I think are going to, really enjoy it and help augment the culture that is forming. But that's something I've been working on in, in the background. And like I said, when I have, when I can share it, I will. And hopefully I can in the next few months, but it is probably a later this year thing, uh, which will be here sooner than you realize. But for, for me, it, it's, um, I want to tell you so bad, but <laughs> it's super cool. I'm really, really stoked. And, and I'm, for the, for if the person that is the reason why it's happening is happening to listen to this, just know I'm eternally grateful for the opportunity. Uh, cause, uh, it's like what we're talking what I've been talking about this whole time. Like, it's just, I don't take it for granted. And, um, I, I really, really, really value the, uh, the ability to, to do this and, and to have people trust in me. So, so yeah, there's that. Um, I think I'm probably going to kind of wrap it up there, honestly. Like, I guess this is more of like a, like a, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm back around kind of touch base thing. I'm just, I am so tired. Uh, like with, with what I just described and what we've been doing at black rifle, it's just, it's a lot of cool, fun stuff, but boy, it is just kind of nonstop when you're building something or helping somebody build something. It's super exciting. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love it, but it's, uh, it is, it is definitely, uh, it's, it's, it can be a lot in one day and there, and there's some other things kind of going on too. And I, I guess I'll say it like, cause I don't think it's like really taboo, uh, to, to, to me and my family, but, uh, my grandpa Rayleigh that I've, I've spoken about in the past that my mom's dad, um, he, he called me 
or I called him rather after he'd called my mom a couple months ago and grandpa's had cancer a few times over, you know, the past decade or so. And he's always kind of come out of it somehow, but he's not going to come out of the one he's got right now. And he kind of was offered a choice by his doctor and, um, you know, they could do a really crappy chemo thing and maybe he, you know, kind of ride out the rest of the year, maybe get, get 12 months out of it, or he could, um, you know, opt not to do the chemo and kind of, you know, punch out in his own terms, which is what he, what he decided to do. And I've talked to him a lot and he's, he's grandpa's cool, man. You know, grandpa, grandpa's been there. All my grandparents have been there for me since the beginning, but Grandpa Rayleigh's, um, he's, he's a pretty big figure and, um, he's actually not that big. He's kind of short, but, (laughs) um, he, he looms large in my mind because he was there for a lot of things. And, and it's not for the the fact that my other grandparents didn't want to be there. It's just that, I mean, we lived with them for a couple of years. That's just kind of the way it goes. So, um, I'm trying to get back to see him probably going to be next month to, you know, like have my last visit with him probably. And, and he knows this, we've talked about this. This isn't, um, uh, like what, it, what I was saying about it being taboo, uh, like death is something that he and I have talked about a number of times. He he's, when I was living in Ohio, I, I went back to spend time with him and my other grandparents. And even then he was like, I'm on the countdown phase. So, uh, I mean, it's, it's not, um, it's not like it's unknown or, and I'm not, I'm not unfortunately an alien to, to death. It's, it kind of became a pretty big fixture in my life starting in my mid twenties. And it, you know, it gets you, it gets me. I don't, I don't know. It's a little bit different now because it, it railroaded my life for a little bit. Uh, if I'm totally honest, when it started happening to my friends, people, my own age back in, uh, back in my twenties and, uh, it was, it was kind of hard. I got lost there for a few years and, um, got more than, more than a few, honestly, I feel like I've only really come out of it in the past, um, three or so, but, um, but yeah, so, so I want to go back and see grandpa and, you know, <laughs> go through some books. He's really concerned about his book collection. He's got a lot of books and, uh, he's, he's uh, really for one, he doesn't want to burden my grandma with all of his junk but he also wants to make sure his junk goes to a good place. And he's got a lot of good stuff. Uh, I think I've said it before his basement. I used to go down and listen to records and read books. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm really into was stuff that I found or discovered in, in, in the basement. You know, he was a big fan of Alan Eckert and, uh, you know, basically like American authors. Um, we, uh, he, I read his book. God, what the hell was his name? two books like uh, rebel in arms and Northwest passage. I can't remember the author's name right off the top of my head, but um, those are two pretty big books from my childhood that I remember picking up out of there, out of the basement. And yeah, so it's um, it's weird. I don't, I don't know for those of you who haven't really dealt with um, impending death, it's a different thing a little bit. Um, you know, I had a friend who had a terminal cancer, and that's a whole story. I'll talk about it at some point, but it didn't work out. Well, it just, the way it didn't have to happen the way that it did, but it did. And you've got to deal with it, but helping someone to die is a, it's a pretty different thing than dealing with someone being dead. And what I mean by that is you, you've got some choices to make when somebody is dying. And, and one of those choices is, are you going to, are you going to be different with them at all? Um, like we have a pretty dark sense of humor in the family and we all kind of tease each other. And, um, a lot of times people get weird around death when they know it's coming and they want to start kind of treating people differently. Like they, like they're almost afraid to treat them like a normal person. And that's just not my style. Uh, and that's, we didn't do that with Lauren. who's my friend that died of cancer. Um, not even doing it with my grandpa. Like when, uh, when I called him after my mom had called me, uh, he picked up, he's like, Hey, Chris. I'm like, you don't have to worry about telling me grandpa. My mom already told me. He's like, Oh my God, thank God. I'm so relieved. And I was like, yeah, so you finally got one that's going to get you, huh? And we're just, we're just laughing about it. I mean, like in, in his mind, he's had a good life and 
He's done a lot of things that he's super proud of. He's a veteran. He was in the Korean War. He's had, a, I mean, a long life with a lot of grandkids and great grandkids whom he still sees and plays with and watches. And um, he actually just went and bought the last Red Rider. Uh, so he, he give he starting with me, every grandkid got a Red Rider BB gun because, you know, we all love the Christmas story. And so he he bought the one that will go to the youngest great grandkid. And that's going to be obviously that that youngest is not even a year old. So it's going to be put away for a bit, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a lot. It, it doesn't feel great. And it's always under the surface. And, you know, I know a lot of you who are listening are, are veterans and you can, there's a whole different, uh, a whole different version of this story with that, you know, you know, there's combat, there's, there's what happens when people come home, the 22 every day that no one wants to talk about for some reason, if you're a civilian. So like, uh, and, and, you know, unfortunately I've got, I've got a lot of that too. Um, and my friends and family uh, over the past 10 years. So you all know it's, uh, I think unfortunately you, you're either the person that learns how to live with that knowledge or it kind of kind of eats you up. And so I think I'm the kind of person now that I know how to live and keep living with, with this kind of sadness and um, it's okay. Like it's part of life. It's what my grandpa says. It's what everybody says that that is kind of there. And at some point I do want to talk more about death actually. And I mean, that might sound kind of weird, but I think it's something that we should, we should talk about more. I think that in the West, we have this tendency to sort of not talk about it until it's like happening. And so a lot of people don't know how to deal with it. And uh, yeah, if you haven't had to deal with it and, and it comes on sudden or unexpectedly it can kind of fuck you up for lack of a better way of saying it. Sorry. Need to sip, sip, sip. So, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's the, this is the, I've had a lot of friends die and I've had an uncle, uh, but as far as family goes, I've never, this is the first big one. And, um, in a, in a, in a weird way, I'm also kind of grateful that I haven't, that I'm, I've been touched by death up to this point because this is going to be hard. And, and I'm not saying anything that I haven't told him, honestly, he knows, uh, it's, uh, it's really cool to be able to, to talk to him though. And, and it was so grateful that I went back there for three years. I never really wanted to move back to Ohio, but I did just to be around my family and to take advantage of the fact that I, I could work wherever I wanted to at that time. Cause it, you know, I didn't have an office I needed to go to when I was making comics. And I, I, so grateful that I did that. And <laughs> I mean, we had a number of fun conversations and um, interesting and insightful conversations as well. Like we were going to the gym a few times a week when I first moved there. And um, I remember like we were getting, we got McDonald's egg McMuffins one day and we were driving, I was driving us back to the house. And I, for some reason asked him how, like, like in my mind, I, when I think of the the person that I am inside like my, my memory, like the, the core personality, I feel like I'm very aware of the nine-year-old version of myself forward. Like I remember things back to when I was like three really vividly, but, but I really started becoming like forming my personality around nine. And so for some reason, I don't see myself as a nine-year-old kid, but I, but I just, I'm always anchored there. And so I asked him when I was driving when this, this, this morning, this one morning, what he, how he thought of himself and without even skipping a beat, he's like 16. I'm always 16 in my mind. And I was like, what? He's, he's like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, I got older. I had kids. I had you, but I've always been 16 in my mind my, as my body changed. And I, you know, stopped doing the things I was able to do, but I've always felt like in my mind, I was 16. And I mean, that just sits with me. It still sits with me because I, mean, I, I know 37, I'll be 37 this month actually. But like, I, I'm, I like getting older. Like, I really feel like I've gotten to the point that I've 
been in waiting to be, you know, in terms of my own knowledge and experience and, and adventures that I've been able to have, like 37 has been cool. It's not been easy. In fact, I, I would say it's the easy it's been to be me has been the past like three years or so. It's not the easiest work wise, like I was saying, but I enjoy the hell out of it. But like, I've kind of been at odds with myself for most of my life where I just didn't get it. I didn't get me. I didn't get why I was the way that I was. And I think that's a, I've just kind of learned how to accept things about myself and and manage them. And, um, kind of a weird guy. Like I, I have a mostly empty apartment in Salt Lake city and with a spare bedroom that has a pretty Spartan podcast set up. And, uh, that's probably going to be weird to some people. I know it's, I know it's got to be weird to some people, but I like it. It's, it's just enough for what I need. I have a reading chair and a sitting chair and a podcast chair. I don't, I don't need more chairs. People don't come over here. <laughs> I'm barely here. And, um, and I just, I'm kind of an odd duck. I, I, I retain information for uh, a long time and I, I'm really curious and I'm constantly learning and I've even taken the self-assessment for being on the spectrum like about half a half a dozen times. And it's kind of 50, 50, honestly, on the self-assessment. Like I have tendencies that kind of put me in a kind of a weird category and not a neurotypical category. I've had brain scans done even. And it's like, yeah, it's a little, it's a little different, but I'm saying that to say that uh, I'm not afraid of getting old and uh my grandpa kind of made me feel better about it. Honestly, when he said that, when he was like, yeah, I'm 16 in my mind. I've always been that way. That's how he has, how he's lived. And, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, um, I'm anxious to get back and see him. It's, uh, it's, it's hard with as expensive as everything is, which I'm sure all of you are feeling that squeeze too with, uh, you know, inflation and rising cost and fuel and air travel is just ridiculous right now for a number of reasons, not just cost, so yeah, I've got to do that. I'm going to try to get back up to Idaho at the same time, like basically take a week and just go four days in Idaho, four days in Ohio and just go say bye to grandpa and not just go say goodbye though, like go and have one more block of memories with him. And and we're going to, I'm going to bring my nice camera and we're going to record him going over his arrowhead collection and his book collection and explaining what things are and what, you know, where he got things and the significance of certain stuff. It, it's going to be good. And, um, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, I told him when he, on that first phone call that I, I'm not excited that he's dying clearly, but I respect the way that he's doing it. And he, and he told me that he appreciated that. And so far, no one said that he's making a mistake. Yeah. I think even his doctors were like, yeah, why, why be miserable on the chemo to try to squeeze out four or five months, which may or may not work. So I don't know. I, he was never a cowboy. He's a hillbilly from Indiana, but there's something kind of cowboy about that to me. Like it's, he's just kind of riding off into the sunset and, and, and like for him, that's okay. And he's going to be around his family. I mean, he's got a big family now he's got, you know, Buku grandkids, Buku grandkids, unfortunately, great grandkids. Unfortunately, I haven't added to that pile. Um, <laughs> although I was the first grandkid, so it kind of should have been on me. But yeah, you know, it's um, it's something that happens to everybody. And I just, I really, I really implore any of you that end up in that situation at some point. Uh, you're, it's going to ultimately be for yourself, but also for the people that your loved ones and your friends that are dying, uh, be, be yourself around them. You know, the, I think it's terrible to think that you'd, you'd, you'd have a relationship with somebody. And then because you're uncomfortable with the idea that they're going to pass away, you pull back. And that's something that happens a lot. And because it, it makes people feel uncomfortable and they don't, they don't know how to do it. Cause when you really think about death and you understand the permanence of death, because not everybody does. It kind of shifts your view on things. And it's it's one of those it's one of those subjects that like I don't I wouldn't want like if I had kids, I wouldn't hope and desire that they they get their heart broken in this way. But at the same time though, it's necessary because it it, it kind of 
it's like what Hemingway said about, you know, people who are stronger in their broken places. There's something to that. Like there, there's the world is going to try to break you and it will chip pieces off. And you, it's kind of your job to lean on who you need to lean on and, and, and put forth the effort on your part to, to put those pieces back or fill, fill those pieces up with something because you're going to have a leaky cup otherwise. And it's okay. It's going to be okay. Eventually anyways, it, it's, it hurts when you lose love people, loved ones and people, people that are close to you in your life. But uh, I hate to tell you, if you haven't experienced it yet, it's going to be a thing. And so the sooner you're able to, to look it in the eye and, and deal with it, the, the better you're going to be for it. And I got to tell you, my, I've, when you understand life and death, it makes this whole fear thing, fear of failure, very different. You know, I've got a lot of people that had big dreams in my life, or I've, I have had them, and they're not here anymore, a number of them. And I'm not saying that I've only done the things that I've done to honor their memory, but I do, I do have their memory and I can think to myself, well, they're not going to be here to do this. And it's pretty fragile, you know, like I could get hit by a bus. I might find out that I have cancer tomorrow. So with that in mind, why not try code of the West? Why not try to work at black rifle? Why not try to be a comic book writer or an artist? What have I got to lose? Uh, nothing really, nothing compared to, uh, being above or being below ground. So kind of ended on a dour note. I hope it's not that dour actually. Cause I, I mean, I, I think that it's um, like I said, I want to have a bigger conversation about this sometime. I want to tell you about Lauren who died of cancer and Michael Birkinshaw who died on a train coming back to see him and, you know, Benjamin Hale, uh, my uncle Jeff. I want to, I want to talk about those people because I think that's the, the worst thing about losing people is that there's this sort of uh, tendency to not know how to talk about it after the fact, because you're going to be sad for a while and you want to talk to people, but you also don't want to be a drip. You don't want to bring everybody around you down. So you don't really know how to talk about the stuff that you're feeling. And so it can get pretty toxic. It can kind of twist you up pretty easily. And, um, no, pardon me. I had a little burp there. Um, a little bit of levity, but, uh, yeah, you should talk about these things. And as I've said before, not everybody's going to have a podcast where they can, but, uh, there's, there's different ways of, of honoring people and, and honoring people's memories. And I'll just tell you, one of the best ways to do that is to live a good life. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to quote saving private Ryan on that one, but I mean, it's kind of true. It's, you know, there's, I've known people who felt super guilty that they remained, after, and I'm not even talking in a, in a, in a veteran way. I know that that's the thing that survival's guilt is a different thing, but I'm talking about total civilian artist people like writers who just felt like they felt it, like it was wrong to continue to have fun or to, to, to live well after certain people had left. And I just don't agree with that. I think that, I think that if, if it were me and somehow I could kind of sneak back through the ether and, and whisper in someone's ear, I'd be like, man, go have fun. Like go live. I, I don't be sad all the time. Like be a little bit sad. And I'm, you know, I don't want people to just be happy that I'm dead, but you know, I, I don't, I don't want people to stop living their lives and I don't think most people would. So yeah, I want to talk about that stuff at some point. So I, I hope it, I hope you'd kind of pick up on the fact that it's not a super dour thing. Um, even though it is death and typically people view it that way, but, uh, we'll go into it a little bit more in depth at some point, you know, it's not tonight. It's a little bit, it's, I'm just getting back my sea legs. So, um, anyways, happy 4th of July. I hope everybody, I know you're going to be hearing this after the fourth, but I hope, hope you had a good fourth and I hope you were able to celebrate our nation's independence and keep all of your digits and, uh, uh, you know, skin, eyes, everything in the proper place and functioning. And, uh, yeah, I hope you're going to have a, a good rest of the summer. I'll try to, I'll try to check back in with you sooner than later. I mean, I'm always posting things on the Instagram, the code of the West at the code of the West on Instagram and in, in my personal page, uh, at lazy fair. And that's a really good place to catch up on what's going on. I'm going to be doing some new drops soon. I'm doing another Eagle hat. It's not going to be the red, white, and blue one, but, um, keep an eye out for that. 
and I might do an, another tombstone theme uh, shirt soon too, but I haven't decided yet, but yeah. Um, yeah. I hope despite the ex- exorbitant fuel costs and craziness amongst travel, I hope that you're, you're able, you're able to get out and hike and see, see what there is to do outside in your area, you know, um, go, go sit and watch a sunset somewhere, get outside, feel the wind on your face. It's uh, it, it'll do wonders for the soul. So till I talk to you next time, uh, you know how it goes. Live with courage, keep your word, do the thing. Talk to you soon. <laughs>